You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. So good. Oh, good morning to everyone who has joined us through the live stream. And if you're happening to listen by podcast, welcome to you as well. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Joshua Hall. I'm one of the children's pastors here at Riverside, and it is so good to be with you today. In fact, it's good enough that I am going to give you a virtual hug that I have not done in a very long time, so you need to prepare yourself. I want you to get your device, whatever you are watching on, and you squeeze that thing as hard as you can on the count of three. One, two, three. Receive that. (laughs) That was probably awkward for a lot of you, but if you know me, you know that I love to give hugs and express love in that way. So, again, so excited that you have decided to join us this morning. And, man, a lot of things have happened since I have last been on this stage preaching to you. I've been here doing announcements and doing all of that stuff, but I I have not preached since January of this year. And so a lot of things have changed. The most notable change is the fact that I am now a married man, which is incredible. My beautiful wife is Hannah. She's on the worship team. She's wonderful. I love her, and I would invite her up here, but she would not be happy about that, so I will spare her. <laughs> but I love her so much, so being married has been incredible. We've been married for almost three months now, and it is awesome. The second thing is that Pastor David texted me yesterday to let me know that that is my four-year anniversary for being here on staff at Riverside, which is crazy. Four years is a long time, and it is a decision that Pastor Bill and Pastor David have lived to regret to this day. (laughs) They have lived to regret it. I have given them so much grief. No, I I mean, I have given them grief, but I'm kidding. (laughs) I hope they don't regret it. But I have loved being here. These people have become my family. It's been an honor to serve here. You guys are my family, and so absolutely love all of you. It is a privilege and an honor. The third thing that is incredibly strange is that I have never, ever preached to a crowd quite like this before. I've been there giving announcements, and you guys are at home, and you're watching, and you're at your RCC home groups and doing all those things, which is awesome. But when I say I've never preached to a crowd like this before, I am telling you the truth. We're going to throw up a picture here to show you some of the distinguished guests that have come to see me give the word of God this morning. So we've got Captain America. We've got my boy Toad, who is my favorite character in Mario Kart. Shout out to Toad. Uh, Snoopy from Charlie Brown, which is one of the best, best, best cartoon strips and TV series ever ever loved them. Kylo Ren was here. You'll see his sword here, but he, the message was too much light for him. His darkness couldn't deal with it, so he left. And then, of course, we've got Baby Groot and my favorite, Batman, uh, a seat reserved for him. He promised me he would be here, so I reserved a seat for him. And then right here, front and center, in the middle, in the front row, is a stuffed animal that I call Wimpsy. And I've had this stuffed animal since the day of my birth. (laughs) So I had to go in my parents' attic to get him. Uh, So he's a little bit upset with me because we haven't been together for a long time, spent time together. But he is here. And so what I want you to do is wherever you are, if you're at an RCC at home group, look at the people next to you. If you're with your family, look at those next to you. And I need you to put in the comments either your favorite person of this distinguished crowd that I have here in front of me or 
and this one I would much rather you do, or you can do both if you're adventurous. Put the name of your favorite childhood stuffed animal in the comments. Even if it's poopsie whoopsie, I don't care. Let's be honest and put that in there and let's all enjoy that and have a laugh together. I can't see them right now, but I'm going to be laughing so hard at all of you after I'm done preaching and can look at these comments. So put those things in the comments. And while you were doing that, I want to remind you that today... We are in a series called Life on the Edge. This year, we've talking about how to live a fully alive life. And so today, we're talking about life on the edge and its relationship to our wholehearted devotion to God. And our theme verse for this series is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. I hope that encourages you today. This incredible God that we serve is able to do far more, infinitely beyond what we could ever even hope to imagine or fathom or come up with. That is the kind of God that we serve. And that's the God that we see talked about throughout the Bible. And so week one, Pastor Bill was up here and he talked about Abraham and Sarah and their ridiculous faith that they had. This daring faith to go and do things that seemed crazy to others, but they trusted God. Last week, we heard from Pastor David and he talked about Joseph and the incredible life of integrity that Joseph lived that got him the favor of God as he worked through Joseph to minister to other people. And this week, we are continuing our story and talking about the life of Moses and his connection to humility. And I believe if you're like me, we have a lot to learn about humility and how it connects to our lives and should be in our lives. And I gotta be honest with you guys. I love preaching. I really do. And we put in a spreadsheet like what the messages are gonna be, who's preaching them, the themes and the verses and everything. So I went on to this spreadsheet And I was so excited. I was like, oh, who am I preaching about now? It's been a few months, and I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Who is it about? Moses. And I was so disappointed that I was the person to preach about Moses. I'm just being honest. And there's a reason for that that I didn't know for the longest time. As a kid reading the Bible, I never really liked Moses. But as I matured in my faith, I found out why. And it's because These people that we read about in the Bible often serve as a mirror into our own lives. And when I read about Moses, I saw qualities in him that I did not like about myself. Things that he had to work through and grow through and learn through. And so when I read about Moses, I was reading about things in me that I didn't like and I had to deal with. And so I encourage you today as we read through these scriptures that you look at the life of Moses and see how it can be a window into your own life and your humility and how we can learn from Moses' journey with humility in his life and how it connects to ours. So we're going to go on a journey. We're going to go all the way from Exodus to Deuteronomy. We've been in Genesis and now we're going into the other chapters in what we call the Torah, which has been written by Moses himself through the inspiration of God. And we start in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, because this is the verse where we find out about Moses' humility. And it says, now the man Moses was very humble. 
more humble than all the people who were on the face of the earth. That's some pretty strong humility. Now, the word for humility in the Hebrew Bible, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew. So the word for humility in Hebrew is anav. And it is most often, when you find it in the Hebrew Scriptures, translated as humble, which also means to bow. But it can also be translated as poor, oppressed, helpless, afflicted, and lowly. And I don't know about you guys, but I see the connection there. I see this connection between when I find myself in situations where I'm feeling afflicted or helpless, that those are humbling situations to be in. They cause me to either run away from God or to look straight at God for the change that I need in my life. And so the DBL Hebrew Dictionary definition of humility is this, a quality of sincere and straightforward behavior suggesting a lack of arrogance and pride. So again, as we talk about the life of Moses and see this journey that he has gone on with humility, I encourage you, do not wait until the end of this message to get the application of how this fits into your life. Because what we are called to do as followers of Jesus, God has given us the scriptures inspired through human beings who were followers of him so that we know how to model our lives after him. This, this practice of getting application out of the scriptures is something that we should be doing daily. So as we read, don't wait for me to give you these pieces of application. Pay attention to the words, the way things are crafted, and see how does this fit into my life. So history, as I said, we're going on a journey today. We're going to get some history so that we know the context of Moses' life and his journey with humility. This is very brief, so you need to read for yourself. Read the entire Torah, the five books that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then go ahead and read the entire Bible over and over and over and over. When you think you've gotten through it, read it again and again and again because there is so much good truth in there. And you don't want to miss it. But here's this quick history. The Israelites that we've heard about and read about and talked about for the past few weeks, we know from last week that Joseph became a powerful man in Egypt, even though he was a slave. And God worked through him in incredible ways, and he brought his family to Egypt. And so they've been in Egypt for hundreds of years. But at some point, the Pharaoh that was over Egypt while Joseph was there died. And a new pharaoh came into power and forgot all about Joseph. Joseph, at some point along this journey, was forgotten. And this pharaoh that was in power was afraid of the Israelites. And so he chose to enslave them. But even in their oppression, God was with them. And they continued to grow and to flourish in that land. And so that pharaoh was even more afraid to the point that it pushed him to commit a gruesome act of throwing babies into a river so that they couldn't produce more children, more Israelites. He wanted them gone. And in this tragedy, we meet Moses. Moses is born during this time, and out of tragedy comes something good, comes the freedom of God's people, that he would bring them through this child, Moses. And so Moses' mother and father were believers. They had faith in God. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, you will read about the incredible faith that they had. They knew that God was going to do something special in their baby. So they were able to hide him from the Egyptian authorities for three months. And after they couldn't hide him anymore, they did something crazy. 
They had faith in God, and they sent this baby down the Nile River. And he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. And she allowed Moses' mother to raise him to a certain point, and then she gave him back. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if his mother told him or if he had to have an awkward conversation at some point as he came of age with his adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter. But he knew that he was not an Egyptian. He knew that he was of the Hebrew people. He was an Israelite himself. And so one day when he was older, he was walking around and he saw an Egyptian man mistreating a Hebrew, an Israelite. And he got angry. And it led to an altercation that led to the Egyptian's death. Moses killed him and covered it up, or so he thought. But the next day, he saw two Israelites fighting. And he was like, hey, what are you guys doing? We're the same people. Why are you fighting each other? And they said, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And so Moses' mistake led to him being at odds with not only the Egyptian, but even his own people. And so he fled. He ran, and it puts us in this moment where we read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. After Moses had fled, he'd been gone for a long time. And it says, during those many days, it was about 40 years, this time period, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. When I read passages like this in the Old Testament, I get excited. Because when you read words like God heard, he remembered, he saw, he knew, God never stopped hearing the cries of his people. God never stopped remembering his people and all of their suffering. God never closed his eyes to what his people were going through. He never stopped knowing who they were. So when we see the scripture tell us these things, it doesn't mean that God's like, oh, oh, my people, yeah, I remember them, I need to do something. It means, oh no, I have remembered and seen and heard their cries for a long time, and now I'm about to move. It's a setup. We're getting set up to know that God is about to do something incredible. And just a few verses after this, we see that God appears to Moses through a burning bush. And God says, I am sending you, Moses, to free my people. I will work through you. I will do far more, infinitely beyond what you could ever imagine, to free my people. And Moses is like, Lord, who am I? I can't do this. Are you kidding me? I'm not the guy, okay? And God's like, hold on, it's okay. I'll be with, this is a huge paraphrase, by the way. (laughs) So you need to read this story. God says, I'll be with you in response to Moses. And Moses says in response to him, who are you? Who do I tell them? is sending me. He's still pushing back against God. God says, I am who I am. And Moses is like, wow. Well, okay, they, but they still won't believe me, Lord. It's me. And God says, okay, I will give you these signs, these miracles that you can do to prove to them that I am with you, that they should listen to you. And in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, we see how Moses once again responds to God. In verse 10, it says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. 
either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then God said to him, I I love this so much. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. In order to have true humility, we must Take our eyes off of ourselves. Take your eyes off of yourself. This very passage right here is the reason why I used to not like Moses. And that came up a little bit when I found out I was preaching about him. I do this, right? We do this. I used to view things like this as humility. Whenever God tells me to go do something, Lord, I'm not equipped I can't do that. There's somebody better for that. Don't send me, please. When people give me compliments, I don't know how to receive them oftentimes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I am the worst at this, but you're the best at this. Somebody could be like, Josh, that was an awesome message, and they're not a preacher. And I'm like, no, you're the best preacher in the world. It's you, not me. And they don't even do that. Sometimes when we're trying to be humble, we deflect because of insecurities. And we don't see that as arrogance, but when we are doing that, we are taking the, the, vo- the view off of God and putting it onto ourselves. We are telling Almighty God who created us, God, you can't do this. Do you know who I am? You can't possibly work through me. If we truly believe that God is who he says he is, that God created us, If he tells us to do something, he's going to see it through. So the humble thing in that moment is not to say, Lord, I have all these defects. The humble thing is to notice the defects that we have, to notice our deficiencies and flaws and insecurities and place them at the feet of Jesus, humble ourselves and say, God, I know I've got all these things inside of me, but I know that you will work it out, that you will work through me and you will do something greater than I could ever imagine. A lot of times in the New Testament, when we see the Apostle Paul talking about the flaws that he has, it's not to stop him from working out what God wants him to. He's saying, despite of who I am, God chooses to work through me. And that same God can work through you. That is humility. And so here we see a Moses that has some things to learn. And I see this as a mirror into myself, and I have been working on these things as well. So we go back to the story, and God did it. He worked through Moses. He brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. And the funny thing about it is, is that Moses was like, God, I don't want to do this. So God brought his brother Aaron to help him. But Moses ended up being God's mouthpiece anyways. Moses ended up doing what the Lord wanted him to anyways, even though he protested at first. But we see that even though the Israelites have been freed from this great oppression, they are ungrateful at every turn. 
God is hot. Why have you brought us out here? We're tired. We're hungry. Send us food. And he sends them manna, which is a bread from heaven. And they're like, ah, God, this is not enough. We want more food. And so he sends them a kind of meat called quail. And that's still not enough for them. And they're always complaining for water. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to meet face to face with God. And he comes back down with all these awesome rules about the covenant that God has with his people, this partnership that he wants to bless all the nations through them, the, the blessing that he gave to Abraham, their father. And they're like, Moses has been gone for too long. Our mouthpiece is gone, so we're going to build a golden calf and worship that instead. Are you kidding me? God came down in a pillar of cloud and fire. He used Moses to part the Red Sea for you, and you're going to worship a golden statue? How ungrateful can you get? And yet one of the scary things that I see is that the Israelites often serve as a mirror into my own life as well. And how I am ungrateful for the things that God has done for me. So we can learn a lot from them. But as the story continues, they sent spies into this promised land. The land that was promised to Abraham that he left his homeland for. He trusted God and left and followed God. They were going to be the people to go to this land. Finally, hundreds of years after God had given this promise, they're going to get there. So they sent spies into the land, and these spies came back. Two of them, out of the 12 that went, gave a good report. And the people said, nope, we're done. Not doing this. Not going on this journey. God, you did all that awesome stuff for us back in Egypt, all those plagues, and you let us out and freed us from our slavery and oppression, but you can't do this. There's no way. These people are too big. They're too powerful. And so God punished them. And this generation that came out of Egypt, out of that slavery, all of them were going to die off. And so God caused them to wander the desert for 40 years. Now here's another interactive moment. I want you to put in the comments how long you think this journey should have taken because it was not a 40 year journey for them to get from where they were to where God wanted them to go. So put it in the comments, how long do you think this journey actually should have taken? <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the answer? It's two weeks. This was a two-week journey that they took 40 years to complete because they couldn't get over themselves and trust in God to help them overtake this land that he had promised to give them two weeks now, I don't know about you, but if I were Moses leading these people, I would be pretty upset. They're always complaining to him, always saying that things aren't good enough. He's the representative of God, so he's getting all of this flack from them. You didn't do this well enough. You're not doing this well enough. Tell God that, blah, 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 blah. And now he's got to wander the desert for 40 years for a journey that could have taken two weeks. And so we see ourselves in a moment where Moses is fed up. And we get to Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 12. And this happens after we find out that Moses is the most humble man on the earth. Keep that in mind. That happened in Numbers chapter 12. So we're in Numbers chapter 20. Verse 2 starts out like this. Now there was no water for the congregation, 
And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against his brother Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Ungrateful. It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron. And pay attention to this. And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them to give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. In order to have true humility, we must take our eyes off of other people. Take your eyes off of other people. And I'm not talking about take your eyes off of people who are hurting and suffering and need help. We are for people. God is for people. God loves people. We should have our eyes on them, but in the right way. Moses was frustrated. And in his anger to these rebels that he was leading that caused him to have to lead them for 40 years through the desert when he could have been at their destination in two weeks. He disobeyed God. Now, this may seem like a simple thing. God told Moses to speak to the rock. I don't know if you caught that in the text. He told Moses to speak to the rock. But when Moses gets to this moment where he should have been pointing to God, instead, he said, look at us. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? So he points the people to himself, not to God. And then he strikes the rock, disobeying God's command to speak to the rock. Now, there are many commentaries out there that talk about the difference in here and why this was wrong. But we can see one thing clearly. Moses, this man that's supposed to be very humble, took his eyes off of God for a moment because he was distracted And he was looking at the people that he was leading in the wrong way. He saw them as people who were undeserving of what God was doing for them. God chose these people not because they were qualified, but because he wanted to work through them. But Moses had to suffer along with them. And it caused him to be arrogant in such a way that keeps him from being able to enter this promised land. That he's leading the people to. 
So as we are serving God and serving other people, we cannot lose sight of God and what he's doing. We can't put the focus on other people in the wrong way. Because in order to help people find and follow Jesus, our eyes must first be fixed to Jesus in order to help others. And we see this in a different way as well. There's another side to this coin, the comparison trap. Because the comparison trap will lead us back to number one of thinking we're not good enough. Where we look at other people and compare ourselves to them and say, this person is way more qualified than me to do what is being done, God. Or this is too hard and I don't want to do this anymore. Someone else can take over. We must have our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on God so that you can have the right view when you are looking at other people who need to see Jesus as well. So back to the story. We get to the promised land. Life on the edge, right? They are literally on the edge of the promised land. And we read about this in a book called Deuteronomy. And I call this book Moses' swan song. These are Moses' last words to the people before he dies. And here is where we see Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, really come to life. We're going to read from Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to pay attention to the words that Moses is speaking to the people before the moment of his death. In verse 1, it says, So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be in fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. In order to have true humility, we must turn our eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. There's a very distinct difference that we see in this passage that we just read from Deuteronomy than we saw in the passages in Exodus and in Numbers. In Exodus, we see Moses saying, God, I'm not qualified. I cannot do this. I am not well-spoken. In Numbers, we see Moses say, look at us. We shall bring forth water for you. In both of those scenarios, 
Moses is looking upon himself. In this scenario, we see a man who dedicated his life to the Lord and leading his people out of Egypt and leading them to the promised land, and he can no longer enter that promised land. The entire generation of the people that he brought out of Egypt died off because of their rebellion and their unwillingness to serve God the way that he wanted them to. And so it's their, the generation after them that's going to inherit this land. And Moses is not the one to lead them in. Joshua, it's a good name, is going to lead them in. He's taking over. And the crazier thing is that as you read the book of Deuteronomy, you see Moses say to the people, I know that you won't do this. You're going to fail. And when we read the history of the Israelites throughout the entire, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, we see that they fail time and time again. We fail time and time again. And that's why God sent Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on our behalf, to pay a price that we could not pay. That's what atonement means. He atoned for our sins. He covered us. He's like, I got you. You can't pay this bill, but I got you. And he rose from the grave. And he promised us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And somewhere along the way, Moses decided to take his eyes off of himself to take his eyes off of other people in the wrong way and turn his eyes upon Jesus and give everything that he had to him. That's the difference. That's true humility. We see in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses says to the Israelites, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses realized it's not about me. It's about God. And God is doing something through me. He's doing something through these undeserving people that I don't know the full story of, but when Moses is talking about this prophet like him, he's talking about Jesus. And this is years and years and years before Jesus will ever arrive on the scene. But even then, Moses knew something greater than me is coming. It's not about me. It's about him. You shall listen to him. This path that you follow is about God, not about me. And so even though the entire generation that he led out of slavery, that God wanted him to lead to the promised land, had died off, and even though Moses is not the one to even lead them into the promised land, it's Joshua. And even though Moses will literally die on the edge of the promised land, looking upon the land that he could have been in, he knew that there was something greater. And he chose to give all that he had to God, to bow before God, to humble himself and say, God, you worked through me to get them to this point, and you will carry your people wherever you want them to go. That is the God that we serve. So today, as we think about applying these scriptures, I want you to ask yourself this question. In what areas of your life do you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus? And do not hold back. Do not limit this process 
take an honest inventory of yourself and say, how can I turn my eyes to Jesus in every area of my life so that I can have true humility as I represent this incredible God to this earth that he has put me on in the time that he has placed me in. And I want you to take it a step further. I want you to ask someone that is close to you, in what area of my life can I use more humility? And if you go to someone and they tell you none, then you go to someone else and you ask until you get an answer. Whether you agree with it or disagree, you work that out within you. Those are some of the most difficult conversations to have, but if we truly want to be humble, we will allow people to speak into our lives. And so I challenge you today as we look at the world around us and we see the fear that is spreading because of this virus that is going around the globe and we see violence in the streets and injustice happening, we must ask ourselves not only how can I turn my eyes upon Jesus, but one of the things that Moses did when he, he told other people to turn their eyes upon Jesus. The way that he lived his life as he learned humility caused other people to look to Jesus. And I'll be honest, when I look around at the world today and all the strife that's happening, Pastor Bill called it turbulent times. These are turbulent times. And in turbulent times, things get tough and we get weary. And sometimes we lose sight of God and we lack humility. I have had that in myself. I have had to work through things during this time to ask myself if I'm being humble. But I encourage you and challenge you, when you're having conversations with people, is that conversation turning their eyes to Jesus? When you're about to post on social media, is what you're posting turning people's eyes to Jesus? We're living in a world where it's easy to say hurtful things and insensitive things. And instead of just trying to be right all of the time, we must look for the best way to be the light to the world that God has called us to be, to turn people's eyes to Jesus as we work humility in ourselves by turning every area of our life over to Jesus and never losing sight of him. So church, let's do this together. We are in this together. We will seek humility together. I know that we can't meet together in a church building, but we are the church. We are still community. And we will not stop living life in the midst of any hardships that we come across. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus together. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for all that you are doing in our lives. And I pray that you would continue to work humility within us, God. I pray that we would lay our lives before you with all of our insecurities, with all of our emotions, all the things that we go through, God, that you would help us to take our eyes off of anything that they should not be on or fix our view of things if we have the wrong view of them and help us to turn our eyes to you. And I pray that through the way that we live our lives that we would have the humility to continue to ask ourselves, in what areas do I need to turn my eyes upon God in my life so that I can help other people turn their eyes upon Jesus as well. 
We exist to help people find and follow Jesus as we serve and glorify him with all faith, integrity, and humility. So God, we bow ourselves down before you as we respond and worship. Continue to work in us, and I pray you never stop. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.